Listening to the iZombie podcast with Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. My name is Robin, and if you want to listen to a podcast, you need to listen to exactly what we say. <laughs> I gotta change the line a little bit. Uh, my name is Stephanie, and let me tell you, I've sewed sheets, I've sewed sodas, I've worked in concession stands, I've uh, you name it, I've sold it. <laughs> I'm a closer. You're a closer. Awesome. Well, you know, uh, we're here to uh, sell you on this podcast yet again. Uh, <laughs> if it's your first time, just, you know, hold on. It gets better. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're here to discuss uh, the episode Death of a Car Salesman, uh, written by Christina DeLeon and directed by Jason Bloom. Uh, I'm just... I keep skipping over the news section because there isn't a lot of news. I know uh, Raul just got uh, – there's a new Gears of War game coming out that I guess he's one of the main characters in. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Good for him. Uh, Allie and AJ are still on tour. I've seen uh, – Rose tweeted a picture of like a wastebasket full of scripts. So it looks like she's going through some stuff. Trying awesome. To, <laughs> trying, to, trying to find the perfect thing. That's uh, good that she's got options. Like I'm so happy for her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Did you see Rose uh, tweet about his wardrobe this week? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Like the – something about the his shirts got mixed up with the uh, – this the dance episode and so his shirts are sleeveless <laughs> i'll have to check that out <laughs> uh, uh yeah I, I i'm really hoping that by the time we finish the show we'll get some word on like where we can find each of these folks uh in, in the future and uh yeah. maybe i'll do some uh maybe i'll do some hunting around before this all is over because uh gosh I, I just love all of them <laughs> i just don't want oh. i'm gonna miss them so much did you see who's coming to Dragon Con? Uh, is Anders coming? Anders, yes. Malcolm Goodwin. Yes. Well, you'll have to say hi to them for me because I just I, I'm definitely not going to make it to Atlanta this year. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you uh, if you close uh, on on Anders, we'll we'll have between us met everybody in the cast, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, obviously, you're, you got to meet Malcolm because he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll figure out, uh, we'll find out what's going on with these folks. And, uh, there was a, what was there? A new announcement. Uh, there was a, oh yeah, there's a show called Dicks that's being produced by Rob Thomas and Dan Etheridge, as well as the writer of Brainless in Seattle, uh, Heather V. Renier. And, uh, it's something about like, uh, somebody hiring private dicks for something. It's, it seems like a, a funny show. Okay, I was just thinking how I'm so tired of a show where we have to solve a crime, <laughs> but I will watch that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and of course, uh, Veronica Mars coming back. They just uh, previewed that new theme song in a funny video between Kristen and Rob Thomas. Yeah, that's great. That was fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders singing the song and... Uh, 
And yeah, I I, I kind of commented in uh, one of our groups that uh, oh, finally I'm going to be able to that the, the song will be in my register now. I can sing it <laughs> now that the girl is singing it, but the girl is singing it with a lower voice. It's not like come on, little honey. It's more like come on, little honey. Uh, so uh, yeah, that'll be fun to sing along with when the, the revival comes back, and we'll be here talking about that in, in kind of a binge form. So you guys don't have to wait week to week for it if it's all dropping at once. Um, okay, so I guess uh, we actually did a pretty good news section there. Uh, let's yeah, we, we did it. We did it. We did it. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the recap. Uh, so Death of a Car Salesman. So I'm getting, um, well, it's funny because it's it's kind of the most boring stuff of the episode, but it's, it's also got some uh, amazing brains uh, as a part of it. So uh, let's talk about the case. Um, so... Uh, the chapter title is uh, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Debtor. <laughs> just funny. <laughs> and we have Ravi is on his monthlies again. He says he just made the best grilled cheese the world has ever seen. And he says, Cheddar and Jack melted to perfection. And I was waiting for the joke for him to go, I got cheddar cheese, and this is Jack right here. <laughs> but they didn't use that joke. <laughs> But uh, maybe maybe got thrown around the writers' room. What? See I don't it, get it. See, it didn't land here either. It, like the like as if the bit the body of the brain that he's eating is not uh, Jack. <laughs> Cheddar and Jack uh, melted to perfection. Uh, I had a grilled cheese though that I it had truffles on it. Oh, okay. It's very expensive. <laughs> it's a very expensive. Why do that to your grilled cheese? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, the body is Rick Randall and Clive is. Uh, you know, as usual, seeing what what's going to happen with the brain. Um, this is a this is a car salesman that not many people liked, and uh, he plays on his phone a uh, of a voicemail of him uh, of Rick uh, screaming to his wife that his car is out of control. Yeah, that's disturbing. Like in the age of OnStar or whatever, the the last recordings of somebody before their death that's just yeah creepy i i did you did you look at uh clive's phone by the way when he brought it up to the camera no yeah it said his recent calls were live ravi and peyton uh-uh. i'm like where's dale like does he call dale at all <laughs> the waiting. people in this episode they they have to be the characters in this episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's like, oh man! I was waiting to see like a contact that said like you know, my, you know, Mama Bear or something like that, you know. <laughs> but um, hey, maybe he just but sees she, her enough at home that he has, uh, doesn't yeah, need to call. Yeah, he doesn't need anything. She doesn't need to call. Yeah, she's, only, she's pregnant. Him. She would never call him for anything. And there's nothing in the stores for yeah. him to bring home anyway. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of it was like you know, Liv needs to eat this brain. Mm-hmm. We're gonna solve this murder. Come on, live. Eat this brain. Yeah, and she, you know, luckily Ravi didn't eat the whole thing because um, I think that's what Clive was worried about. Like, oh, this is the this is a murder victim. This is not like just a regular brain. Um, and uh, you know, the, we find out that the car went in, uh, driving off a bridge, and the guy, and, you know, according to the voicemail, he wasn't in control of the car. So Ravi talks about possessed cars like Herbie. <laughs> <laughs> And Liv's like, oh, Herbie's not possessed. <laughs> Herbie was a love bug. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely thinking of Christine, but I don't know. Maybe Robbie is not a fan of those movies. I I, I loved the love bug movies when I grew up. Um, oh, I did too. 
Herbie Lovebug, uh, Herbie Rides Again, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. Um, even the Lindsay Lohan updated one, that wasn't that bad either. Because they didn't try to negate all that came before, I don't think. I don't know, it's been a while. Who was in that with Lindsay Lohan? Was it Michael Keaton? No, it was Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon? Yeah, why right? I, why am I trying to relate Michael Keaton with the love bug? I don't know. I'm don't know. To, Never mind. I mean, there was that one time that Michael Keaton was Batman and he was trapped in the Batmobile while the Penguin took over the Batmobile. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you're like, oh, possessed cars. Let me think. Go. Um, but uh, yeah, listeners write in if you know what Steph's no, talking about. Because I don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. <laughs> so uh, Clive hands them these raffle tickets. And right now they're not on the brain. So they're kind of like, ugh. Uh, you know, everybody just pay. That's what you do. You just like, if it's $25, just take my $25 and yeah. leave me alone. <laughs> do you remember when you were in school, when they did that assembly to get you all pumped up to go sell that useless garbage? And you, you wanted, you know, you were going to win that prize. Yeah. And, and you get home and your dad's like, no, <laughs> we're not doing it. I don't care if the world is coming to an end. You are not, and then they made it to where you had to do it. It's just, ugh. oh, you know. And my kids, they they sometimes bring home stuff, and it's like the school says we need to do this. So I was like, well, the school is not in charge. <laughs> you just go there to learn. I'm not going to do all go off. And yes, do it's very, that's very confusing for kids because they're like, uh, but it's school, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's the end all be all of my life. Yeah. school and you, and you're telling me two conflicting things, and. That always annoys me. I, I, I really wish, you know, and sometimes it happens, like a school kind of like sending a notice home going, hey, we're going to be doing this thing, you know, and uh, we'd like we'd like you you to help out. And, uh, you know, so we're sending this home with your kid or whatever, instead of just your kid coming home and going, guess what? <laughs> I'm selling magazines now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to win the prize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Clive says the grand prize is a Mustang, and I love that Liv's like, oh, I'm not a car person. <laughs> and just, you know, just like the lead actor in any any series, they just don't drive. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, like, Buffy. Uh, Buffy, hmm. never drove, Buffy never drove. We saw Liv drive in, like, I think the second episode of the series hmm. uh, when she drove to Major's house. Um, but most of the time, whenever we see Liv in a car, it's usually uh, riding in shotgun. In the passenger seat, yeah. yeah. So, Interesting. I've never thought about that. Yeah. And, you know, when we find out that um, the tickets, if you, the person that sells the most tickets gets a mountain bike. And I immediately thought of, uh, of Liv back on the brain of her friend who was like, a, you know, an extreme sports person. Um, mm-hmm. And so and she had that great scene of her riding around the bike. Um, again, you know, it seems like they're doing callbacks, but you never know. They might not be. And I'm just pulling them out. But. I don't know. I'm feeling very nostalgic about iZombie already, <laughs> uh, especially with some stuff that comes up. But we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, okay, so the the brain kicks in. The two get start getting competitive. Uh, uh, like while Liv is making her meal, Robbie already sold all his tickets and ten of Liv's. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think it was weird that she went through and made this entire uh, grilled cheese thing, and then she showed Robbie a picture of it? I just thought that was kind of weird. like as if they they were like oh we got to pick up this shot uh, I guess we'll, we don't have the food prop here. Well, maybe no, it, I didn't notice it. Maybe she was like in a hurry to eat the sandwich. She had to get the brain in her, yeah. so she ate the sandwich and just showed him a picture of it later. 
It, I, it didn't bother me at all. I didn't notice it. It seemed like, doesn't she usually do it in the morgue? They were both in the morgue. So why is she showing him a picture of it? <laughs> it's just weird. But yeah, maybe I'm sure they do the... Uh... I think is a picture somehow related to his salesman brain? I mean, the grilled cheese is because no. I guess the salesman is a cheesy salesman. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I was like, huh? <laughs> That's weird. But I do love the line... Um, you know, they're talking about outselling each other, and Liv says, I hope you like Blue Bayou because that's my theme song. <laughs> Which, you know, I love. You gotta love a little Crystal Gale, but also because she blew by him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I yeah, I didn't get it. I think that was my favorite joke of the, <laughs> of the episode. I don't know. <laughs> that was a good one. All right, so. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we get into this case, which is, I don't know, again, we got we got Regina, who says all the car salesmen are backstabbers. I, I, I guess I love how, I, I love during this part of uh, the episode, at least, it seems a little better, because we have Liv strutting in with her toothpick. She's like, okay, uh, well, let's get that murderer a death penalty. And she's like, she's and she's like, oh boy. She's like, how about this? I'll, we'll we'll give your life behind bars. Is that is that a deal? And she kind of holds out her hand. <laughs> and then yeah, Robbie I'm trying comes, to sell her on it. Yeah, yeah. And then Robbie comes in with a toothpick, and he's like, ah, I heard you purchased a large life insurance policy, and it's like, pretty much accusing her to her face. And uh, Clive kicks him out, and Robbie says, Babs, who taught me it's always the spouse. Which again, <laughs> I think is a is a kind of kind of a callback to the second episode of the series where, um, that was the the artist's brain where Liv was so surprised that Clive would just immediately think that it was the spouse that killed killed him, and uh, in fact, uh, she did. Uh, <laughs> so, but that's always been Clive's thing. It's the spouse. The first suspect is always the spouse. Well, I think in police, in investigation, usually it is the. The, what makes sense mm-hmm. like usually it's the person closest i mean you got the current crime of passion part of it or or you can you know the fact that there's a, when, there's a thin line between love and hate yes yes <laughs> and then there's like you know insurance or you can get you get i mean there's so many different um reasons to murder a, a spouse what am i talking out loud <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's... Whoa, let's reel that back. Cut that off. <laughs> no. Let's move on. It's so funny. I'm sitting here trying to uh, uh, justify it, and I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> this doesn't sound Oh, right. yeah. Well, look, a thin line between love and hate are words that I utter very often. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Clive reminds Robbie that he's not a detective, and Robbie says, neither is Liv, and Liv's like, I'm a closer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and see, oh, what is this? Okay, this. Um, oh, what's the movie with Alec Baldwin? Okay, Hunt for Red. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Glenn Gary Ross. Okay, yes. I've never saw this movie. Oh, so, you should. Like I've started to watch this movie a million times. Oh, really? Oh, maybe mm-hmm. it's not. I've not never watched. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I just great actors. It, it, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a, I mean, it's a man thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be because there's a lot of things that's just like, uh, you know, like we were watching Cold Pursuit, that Liam Neeson. You know, this um, avenging movies are not 
my thing. Yeah, but Glenn Larry Glenn Ross is in a in an avenging movie. And no, but it could be like a very male movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's salesman, you know. Or like Vertigo. Not my thing. Oh god. I love Vertigo. I know. How dare you? I know. Also, not my not my thing. Hey, we just also, did another callback to season one. <laughs> Was that Vert- season one? Vertigo, yeah. Robbie waiting on the porch for Peyton. She just finds out that uh Liv is a zombie and takes off. Robbie ready wow. to go on like a vertigo tour with with uh, of San Francisco. Of San Francisco, he's wearing Jimmy Stewart's suit. That was back when they could leave. Oh, good old days. Yeah, <laughs> remember that when they could go to other cities <laughs> like Tacoma. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, not your cup of tea, but I, I, I really appreciate. I mean, just watching it for the acting alone, Al Pacino and Jack Lemmon are. are so, great. were there any uh, were there any references? I mean, the coffee is for closers. The closers thing is very much uh, like okay. Alec Baldwin's big speech um, in the movie. Like everybody has seen, you've seen that at least, right? He comes in and t- takes down the room. Uh, they tried to do kind of like the same thing in the in the movie Boiler Room <laughs> with uh, Ben Affleck. He comes in and just like berates everybody and then leaves, and he's not even actually the star of the movie. But yeah, okay. Boiler Room, another dude film, another guy's film. <laughs> mm. Uh, all right, so uh, is this the part where um, Liv goes with Clive into the interrogation room and then wheels around and gives uh, gives Ravi the loser <laughs> signal? I don't know. Uh, There's so, so many good scenes. Um, I, they kind of just, I don't know, I can't so, keep them straight. She's, she's so, uh, she's got the suits on next and uh, they got the suits on and God, Liv is so cute in her little suit. <laughs> She's adorable. Like, Robbie is looking like Mr. Dapper Man, but I just love Liv, like, her, little Liv and her little <laughs> so <laughs> adorable. Uh, um, Robbie uh, is trying hard to track down uh, Beanpole Bob and also Freylet Kids. Uh, he wants to, he says he wants to save, I wrote this in this part because it's another com- competition thing. And he's like, he's trying to save lives by tracking down Beanpole Bob, who's possibly got this tainted utopium. And also the Freylet Kids, you know, the Freylet brains help, uh, help with the cure. But also he wants to save, save the lives of the Freylet Kids. And Liv feels threatened. He's like, oh, you think you're doing better than Renegade? All right. So uh, we have general manager Teddy Fisher. This would, wait, wait, wait. Because this would be the only situation which Liv would use, you know, being her persona of Renegade as a brag. Yeah, or, exactly. <laughs> you know, in, in no other, you know, situation would she ever think to, to nah. be so boastful like that. Nah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, we have, uh, we have the general manager, Teddy Fisher says he wouldn't kill his best salesman. He directs them to Stu Solano, uh, who's always a second place salesman and Rick even stole his girl, Gina. And then Stu says, oh, Rick cheated. That's how he won. Stu points the finger back to Teddy, uh, because Teddy, because Rick was gunning for Teddy's job. But through all this back and forth, uh, Liv gets a vision of, uh, Jack Klein being fired. Um, and, uh. Jack Klein, by the way, is was in uh, Once Upon a Time. Um, oh, of course, he was. What was that? Everybody, name? every Canadian actor was. Yeah. In Once Upon Eric, a Time. Eric Keenly side. Eric Keenly side. He played uh, uh, the version of Maurice in this in the show. The Maurice who is Belle's father. Oh. So I think he was uh, Claire from Lost's father. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
but was it Maurice like a small man? I mean, like, was he a sickly man? No, I'm. Well, he was like smaller in height, definitely. But yeah, maybe you're thinking of Kevin Klein in the uh, in the Hermione version of uh, Beauty and the Beast. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was think I was thinking in the movie he was like. He's kind of short and fat, and he had a mustache. And yeah. oh, okay, yeah. I was thinking he was very like very cowardly. Cowardly. Yeah. I was thinking he was sickly because he was like imprisoned. Yeah, that prison okay. will do that to you. Prison is a hell of a thing. Mm. Not speaking from experience, although if we keep talking about uh, uh, <laughs> murdering spouses, uh, <laughs> apparently I'm going to get picked up. <laughs> Tom Cruise is going to show up at my door for future crime. <laughs> um, all right, so we go to the next chapter, Heller High Father, and this is when Liv and Clive meet uh, Jack Klein and his daughter, Emily, who's running out. Uh, Jack says he doesn't hold a grudge. He's got more time for family now. He's The coffee's better here. And Yeah, he's putting on this fake smile. Yeah. Uh, everything's great. I'm so happy. My life's so much better. That was an awful place to work. It was a pit of vipers. Yeah, something like Did that. Did he say that? Yeah. yeah. I can imagine, like, I know people who become lawyers, and they're like, these people are awful people. <laughs> you know, right. it's just, like, not an environment that they feel is healthy. But I don't know, some people just, you know, it just depends on your personality. Some people just flourish in that kind of atmosphere. Right. I mean, throughout the entire thing, as a person, it's like, oh, man, I'd love to just kind of sit home and drink coffee that my wife made, you know, <laughs> but I have to go to work. <laughs> like, so, like, what's his excuse? Like, maybe maybe he saved up a bunch of money when he was selling, but I guess he wasn't that great of a salesman. So, uh, <laughs> so um, Jack then points the finger back. Well, you uh, know, it's television. People don't need jobs on no, TV. People exactly. are rich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack points the finger back at Teddy, who says Rick's wife was uh, two-timing him with uh, Teddy. So it's another diversion. Um, but Liv still suspects ra- uh, Rack. Liv, Liv still suspects Jack. Uh, but Clive's like, he's got a flip phone. Like, how is he programming a car? <laughs> and this is a very good question, Clive. <laughs> Which doesn't seem to get answered. But um, that's when Robbie has a vision of a busted windshield. And I love lives like you call that a vision. <laughs> Again, using the uh, the I zombie, the things that you know we're more serious about in I zombie as like uh, competition with Ravi is really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, but he doesn't call it a windshield; he calls it a windscreen. A windscreen. That's right. Is that a British <laughs> thing? I'm sure it is. Yeah. Uh, another like meta joke here. Is uh, you know Clive doesn't see who who smashed uh, the windshield windscreen, and Clive's like I, I'm not surprised. Like they, they never do. <laughs> yeah. It never happens. Like so many it's cases we solved. If, if person if you would see the person you're having a vision through their eyes would actually see who killed them. Like every week, mm-hmm. be, be wrapping things up real quickly. I would be a different show. It'd be like, um, yeah, I had a vision, but can you prove it? You know? Yeah. I wonder what that would be like immediately knowing the guilty party, but then having to like build the build the case against that person instead of might be less of a mystery show, I guess. Probably be yeah, I'm sure they do it that way to give them room to make more steps. Yeah, it's probably a they probably have a template, mm-hmm. you know, a pattern for how they they uh, arrange these mysteries. Most shows have a Bible, and I'm hoping one of these days we'll get a hold of the iZombie Bible. 
of like and what the char- each character is and what they do, what what their arc's going to be, and that kind of thing. Um, okay. Who knows? Um, I would love that. If there's any writers listening, please send me the Bible. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, um, they both try to get more tickets off of Clive, who refuses, and Liv remembers that she actually has more tickets. Uh, so Clive later brings Ravi and Liv into the office, into his office, uh, to show him how it's done. He's like, ah, oh, those holes in the windshield were from a field hockey stick, uh, which is the daughter's. And she's also a computer major that she was, and she was accused of hacking a blimp to get back at her ex. And he's like, now if you excuse me, the closer is heading out to make his collar. And then he stops. And he's like, this is the best part of my job. <laughs> I just love this so much. Just this, like, in the end, like, Clive drops the big, biggest uh, smugness on, on the two of them. <laughs> and they're just both kind of, like, floored by it. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, Emily is like, oh, yeah, I did stuff in the past, but I didn't do this. And that's when the father comes in and says it was his. He did it. And here's what he says. He says that she's a computer science major. She had all her textbooks at home. <laughs> So he spent the last year planning a revenge by reading textbooks in order to hack into this uh, system to kill this guy. Okay. As the mother of a a college student who took two years of computer science, (laughs) Morgan didn't learn nothing. Oh, my gosh. Nothing about, you know, just because you get a computer science degree doesn't make you a hacker. And, but... People who watch television don't know these things. People yeah. think that you go to college and you learn you, you're just an expert. You know, you're just like at the you you get a four year degree and that makes you the top at the top level of everything. Oh gosh, do you remember Superman three? Richard no. Pryor. <laughs> no. Richard Pryor. Oh. Uh, he's in the uh, you know the line for jobs and uh, he can't get a job and then suddenly he takes this one little computer course and suddenly he's a prodigy like he's able to <laughs> hack into banks and, and and you know and then he's kind of hired by the arch villain to help him out but but it was but back back then it was kind of easier to buy yeah, I guess because so. because nobody was in that field right you know like you didn't know people who had computer degrees <laughs> and so computers were just these mystical machines that worked magic for all you knew you know and now now it's different now you know that there's a lot that goes into it and a four-year degree is just hardly anything and just i don't know the idea of this guy just sitting at home studying his daughter's textbook because don't you have a degree in, in computers yes aren't you yeah yeah well, and like could more you like web ever... developer but oh, no. okay yeah i i would you I wouldn't never... know where to even start no no, but if I guess if I got it in that area of coding and and uh, I don't know different ways you can um, hack into different things, but I, uh, I, you know, well, at university they don't teach hacking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I I would have liked it better if like Jack admits he did it and he hired somebody to do it. It just so happens that she's got a computer science degree. And hacked her way into a blimp, but um, yeah. Well, it would have been even better if she did it. Okay. Or yeah. maybe maybe she did do it. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's covering up because. Oh, well, he well, did. He did describe what he did to right, zombie vampire so, Steve. So yeah, he wouldn't have known how. So uh, yeah, it would have been better if she'd just done it. Oh gosh. Anyway. 
at the end, uh, Jack Klein is arrested for murder, and it looks like uh, both Liv and Ravi uh, won the raffle together, and they have to split a mountain bike. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and at this point, they don't care. Yeah, and the mountains are beyond the wall, so it's like no, no mountaining. But, um, yeah, we spent way too much time on the case, but I, the brains were a ton of fun. I, yeah. I, I love the brains. <laughs> the next chapter title I have here is called Robin's Prediction of Blaine Killing Donnie's One True Love Will Come True. Oh, no. No, this is what will happen. <laughs> okay. They're going to fall in love, and uh, Donnie will scratch her, turn her into a zombie, nope. and You're cause wrong already. him to Huh? You're wrong already. Why? Well, she's got a Freilich brain. What happened right. when... And so who else had a Freilich brain? Who? Isabel. Yeah. What happened when Liv scratched her? Oh, she didn't turn. Exactly. This is a perfect. Ah! This is perfect. It's so nice that like Donnie can be a zombie and she can still be a human, and she's still not going to get infected because oh, she's got I that see, brain. I was wondering about that. I was wondering yeah. why the, when they kissed, why did they not discuss the fact that he's a zombie and she's not? Yeah, no, no. She's immune. She's immune. Yeah, Freilich, Freilich brain people are immune to the zombie. That's why Isabel um, died because Liv couldn't uh, give her the gift of uh, I don't know. Are zombies immortal? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, all right, so let's take it back to the beginning of that part. Uh, we go. We go now to uh, the basement of Mom E, <laughs> which I just love. <laughs> And uh, yeah, the basement is upgraded. We got hanging lamp, we got art, we got a wet bar, we got a Noguchi table, which I looked up those tables and they are very expensive for such like a simple little table that looks a little curvy. I mean, mm-hmm. is it a Gucci as in G U C H I? Oh, no, no Gucci. Oh, oh, no N O G U C H I. Yeah. Is it a certain kind of wood? I have no idea. Or a I design. Didn't look too far. I just looked at prices. <laughs> Oh, but the, let me the hold on. Let me Google it. Well, N O G U C H I. Anyway, Blaine got this because he's got uh, money from Frelick, you know, from basically selling Darcy. Um, and he's also bribed Mom E because uh, he got her a whisper quiet washer dryer for her bras. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, you do not get a front load washer and dryer. No. No. Stick with the old-timey, plain-jane, old-fashioned top-loading because that front-loader water uh, stays in in the door and it's oh. made, your clothes stink all oh. the time. I hate it. Oh, hate it. I didn't know that. Oh, gosh. Because it does seem very like – I mean, you know, I hate to equate high-class living to it's just like the laundromat. <laughs> but it, it seems like, oh, that's such a cool – you know, you can see your clothes rolling around in there. Yeah, at least a front loader dryer, right? Well, okay. It just takes me if I have a, a, a lot of laundry to do. It takes all day to do about two or three loads of laundry. Yeah. It takes forever. They don't. Oh, because you have know. a front loader. Yes. Oh, okay. I'll take it from staff, guys. Don't get your do front not loaders. even even though they're pretty. Don't no. stick with the old fashioned top 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 loading. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, have you, have you Googled Noguchi yet or can I move on? Yeah. I think it's a design. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very artsy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Blaine tells Donnie to call Dalton. We heard, we heard his full name, Dalton Earl Duke, which that's a name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, 
And you know, this is the guy that was selling the nootropics. He was a, he was a brain dealer uh, before uh, for and you know s- selling to Ladome and all that. But oh, um, he's so smarmy. Ugh. But, perfect. He's perfectly cast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that Blaine's like, oh, what happened to us, Donnie? And Donnie's like, I am busy running a bar and I need your help and you're not here. You can be in the back doing paperwork. And Blaine's like, eh. <laughs> uh, and I love that, you know, you know Blaine says uh, uh, the scratching post and Donnie's like, oh, no, it's Donnie be goods now. <laughs> so, yeah, Dalton talks nootropics to Blaine and Blaine's like, yeah, it's a crock. I'm not falling for it. And Blaine's like, uh, uh, uh Dalton says that he doesn't miss smuggling and all, and Blaine's like, so I'm here to talk to you about smuggling. <laughs> oh, I know. That was funny. <laughs> and uh, Blaine writes a big number down that gets Dalton's attention. And I'm not going to say what website it is, but there was a website that showed like promo pictures from this episode and had a picture of Blaine talking to Dalton. And like under the caption was like, who is this mystery man that Blaine is talking to? It's like, he's been in a few other episodes. Have you been paying <laughs> attention or are you just here for the clicks? Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Blaine uh, gets a whole bunch of, just a whole new uh, line of smugglers through Dalton. And I, I just love the lineup here. You know, it's, it's definitely not as weird and wild, but it, it definitely reminds me of uh, Darth Vader's bounty hunters. How like the bounty hunters were gathered by Darth Vader to go out and hunt Han Solo, and uh, Boba Fett was one of them. But wow! Wow! We're just going to talk Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and Star Wars, <laughs> and what other guy stuff apparently. <laughs> I mean, now that I love me some, you know, Empire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it Empire? It's Empire. Or Star Wars? It's Empire. That's Empire. Okay. That one. All right, but I don't. I do not remember that. It's time for a rewatch. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, that's a podcast. Nobody ever. Nobody does Star Wars podcasts. We should do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. Blaine says, you know, here's here's the people you have to gather, and one of the bounty hunters is like, hey, this is, is this is this a kid? And Blaine's like, no, 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 they're actually teenagers, and uh, you know, we all know they're the worst. <laughs> they are. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. They're really not. No. Maybe in Especially general. Especially our, our teenage listeners. If our teenage listeners, you guys are definitely the best. Yeah. Not the worst. I mean, it's just like millennials. Like, oh, millennials are the yeah. worst. Okay. Well, think about those millennials that you know. It's that guy at work who's just a couple of years younger than you. He's a millennial. Yeah. He's just a guy. Like, yeah. like. Ugh. Let's stop clapping. Well, you know, just love everybody, people. Let's just go out. Go out Stop to your neighbor. generalizing. Stop generalizing. Go out to your neighbor and give him a hug. I know he's weird. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a hug. You know. Uh, anyway. Uh, so Dalton has to uh, convince these guys. So he negotiates for an extra $10,000. And it works. And Blaine says, let's go round up some Rugrats. And it just have, lets out like an evil laugh. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> Yeah, because it just you just think about oh all those homeless teenagers he murdered. <laughs> yeah, it's just so yeah. creepy. I'm beyond so feeling bad about <laughs> murdering teenagers or kidnapping and putting them in danger. Uh, all right, so the next part of this is uh, Blaine watching High Zombie, which we'll talk about more in, in another part. Um, but I love, <laughs> peak TV, my ass, he says. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, 
walks in Darcy with a friend of the pod, uh, Crybaby Carl, and uh, and apparently Ralphie Shark Buddy has been trying to uh, get a hold of her, and she's kind of wondering about with a, that with a fake British accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he he at first wants to keep her in mommy's basement to keep her safe and keep her, you know. But she has a bucket list. Right. She can't, she, there, she will not be crossing things off her bucket list if she's stuck in mommy's basement. Right. So Blaine decides to send her to the scratching post. And the next thing we do, we see Donnie like complaining about cleaning awful messes in the bathroom. And I'm like, what oh, is man. it? I'm sorry. Taco Tuesdays are off or something like that. <laughs> Burrito Mondays? I forget. Oh. Um,. And so I immediately thought, oh, gosh, they're just sending Darcy to clean bathrooms at the scratching post. But apparently Blaine just kind of sent her there to hang out all day. I, I'm not really quite sure what mm-hmm. what she's there for, but uh, she is the one that plays uh, Lady by Sticks, which uh, Donnie freaks out about because of slow songs. Um, but uh, I, I No love song. songs on no the songs. jukebox. And it might be because he's kind of depressed that the matchmaker says there's one true love is out there and he'll never, ever find her. But Donnie is floored by when he sees Darcy and uh, she turns oh. and she's got that tattoo, the skull tattoo. But it was adorable. The, uh, you know, the wind in her hair and yes. I, what he was, it was like we were seeing her as he was seeing her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she is a, she is a very pretty girl. Uh, pretty lips. Uh, <laughs> Candy is there working the bar, and she says that Darcy is actually a frailic brain girl, and she's going to be dead soon. So, well, yeah, because he says Donnie says she's out of my league, right? Yeah, way out of your league. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so we go on to the next chapter, Requiem for a Dream Girl, and Donnie tells Darcy, you know, he's getting to know Darcy, and finally tells her about the matchmaker, and uh, yeah, he keeps like kind of like. Walking away from her and walking back, he's like, oh, I can't. Uh, but then he he tells her about this, and she reminds him, "We're gonna, we're all gonna die, you know. It's not, I'm just gonna <laughs> yeah. die sooner, you know." And then she says she's trying to get through this bucket list, and one of them is getting into a bar fight. <laughs> and so Donnie goes to the jukebox and starts up a you know a hard rocking song, and then just kind of bumps into a couple people that knock into each other, and then immediately a bar fight <laughs> breaks out. And they, she, he goes to her, and uh, I think it's he that says, "Should we do this? We might get hurt." And she says, "Let's find out." And they start kissing, which I love it. You know, it's a double entendre. You know? Should they get to a uh, bar fight? They might get hurt. Let's find out. Should uh, we actually try this relationship? We might get hurt. Let's yes. find out. And this is what we needed. We needed this romance. Yay! The show needed the romance. Yeah. Since there's nothing going on between Liv and Major. <laughs> I know. The promo pictures for this week were a bit of a tease. It showed like Liv and Major sitting together on a couch. Uh, and, you know, I was like, oh, is this an indication that something we're going to get some. Uh, yeah, Liv I don't Major? even remember that scene. <laughs> no, that was that's, when, that's when they watched High Zombie. We'll, we'll get to that. But uh, Oh, they're, they're waiting for Peyton. And yeah, Bobby. yeah. Okay. Um. So, what do you think of Donnie and Darcy as a uh, as a pair? Oh, I'm so excited! I think it's adorable. I, I had a question of uh, the age difference, and I think that we had a uh, a feedbacker. I, I don't look. I don't care how old she is, right? <laughs> <laughs> because 
because when she first came in the bar, I was like, is she old enough to be in a bar? She's in college. Yeah, and then there's the whole thing where Candy asked for ID and Donnie's like, whatever, you know, so. Exactly. It implies that that she's younger than 21. But that gave, that told me that the show doesn't, that she's, uh, she's fine. Like, it doesn't matter how old she is. Also, but she's dying. It doesn't matter how old she is. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've heard, like, Freylich Brain kids, they don't make it past 18 or something like that. But also, like, can you tell me how old Donnie is? Like, what? No. (laughs) I really have no idea either. He's very boyish. It doesn't matter. I will tell you that I looked up the actors themselves. And they they are both 30. Like, they're the same age. Yeah, they're both 30. Wow. Which uh, they both do not look 30, but they are. No, she definitely doesn't. Yeah. She looks, you know, 20. Yeah. So, uh, who knows? Um, but I guess right now, we just, uh, I, I just, to me, I, I'm i I'm under the assumption that maybe Blaine is like 25, 24, 25, and she's like 18 or going on 18. Blaine and, or Donnie? Sorry, Donnie, I should say. Um, which is still a little icky. But I don't know. I, I, I can buy it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go on to our next chapter, which I titled I Zombie History Lesson, which, uh, oh boy, I got so excited when this pod, this this episode opened. You have no, I don't know if you were thinking that, but uh, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to get this. this is, we're going to find out, like, exactly where things come from. Like, we've been talking about this for years. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was so excited. Uh, the chapter title is uh, Party Like It's 2013. So this is five years ago. Mr. So before the show started. Mm-hmm. Mr. Boss uh, meets with Martin, um, a.k.a. Chrome Dome, a.k.a. Beanpole Bob. And he says uh, he's been hearing what the twins have been telling him about Utopium. And that is, you know, Donnie and Scotty. And he says, Utopium is like Matthew McConaughey on the greatest night of his life. <laughs> like I, now I am sold on Utopium myself. Yeah, because yeah, Matthew McConaughey's life is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Everything's all right, all right, all right. So imagine it's just like even better than that. Um, so we find out here that Martin is the creator of Utopium. He's the one that created this drug. Got high on his own supply. Uh-huh. He still thinks it's uh, it needs a little bit of work, and uh, you know, Mr. Boss tells him to keep at it. And then he says, "You got to change that shirt." And we see that uh, Martin is wearing a shirt called that says "Gary's Beanpole Fest," which I, it must be like a musical festival. Uh, I have no idea. I looked it up. There's no such thing. Uh, so yeah, it has nothing to do with his height or how skinny he is. <laughs> It's because he it's wears just, this shirt all the time. Yeah, and I'm sure Donnie, they're like, you know that guy, Beanpole Bob, that guy yeah. that wears that shirt. You know, it's just a name that just got started and just went around, and that's yeah. what he became, just how neat names do, I suppose. So, yeah, we we find out he created Utopium, and he always wore that shirt all the time, which is why he got that strange nickname. I mean, he is tall. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, probably back in the day, he was probably a beanpole. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, so now we go to a year later. Now Martin's lab is a lot bigger. Uh, and he has an assistant. That, and we don't see his face. And we are, um, I think we're we're supposed to believe that that's Gabriel. And we'll, we'll get into Gabriel in a second. I, you probably don't remember Gabriel, do you? Mm, 
He was the preacher that Blaine and Donnie kidnapped and turned into a zombie. Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you more about him in a minute, but I think we're meant to believe that that's Gabriel and that's, they're, they're trying to say that, okay, that's, if you're wondering about Gabriel, there, there's, there he is. Gabriel was the Jesse to uh, Martin's Walter White. Um, so Martin has a new batch and he calls someone to come pick him up and he packs up that, some of that new batch and he grabs a can of Max Rager. And then we cut out to the famous blue van that we see Martin in years later, but right now it belongs to a guy named Hal. And Hal is marveling over how mixing chemicals with the right brain parts, anything can happen. And just so happens, you know, they do utopium together and then Martin is sitting there drinking Max Rager and he becomes the very first zombie. And he goes full on zombie. And murders Hal. He is patient zero. Yes, yes. So we find out where Zombie came from. It is this guy, Martin Roberts, uh, who was toying around with Utopium. And then just one day, he just so happened to be using Utopium while using this other chemical in Max Rager. And that's how he created Zombie. And uh, also a funny note here. Uh, I didn't recognize him, but the guy who plays Hal... Uh, is Doug Hutchinson. Do you recognize that? What? <gasps> Doug Hutchinson, the one that like married the 17 year old girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. The guy who plays Eugene Victor Toombs in the X-Files and he's played other creepy characters uh, throughout history. But yes, he's a, uh, I think he's like 40 or 50 and he married like a 16 year old with her parents permission. Uh, yeah, really creepy. So I guess with that knowledge running around in the back of my mind, what's happening between Donnie and Darcy doesn't bother me so much. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's so weird that Doug Hutchinson, such like a, I mean, obviously his credibility, maybe not as an actor, but just as a general human being has has dropped. uh, Yeah. so, so it's kind of funny seeing him in this little tiny bit part, but, um, uh, but yeah, maybe that's all I can get nowadays. Yeah. Cause they did a, did they do a, they did a reality, reality show? Yeah. yeah. Gross. Who would Gross. want to see that? Ugh. So I was thinking to myself, okay, so Martin created Utopium. Who's the worst, first person that created Utopium? Huh. What was going on with Gabriel? So let me give you my own iZombie history lesson. Um, by recounting some of the stuff that happened in the series earlier to refresh you and remind you, because uh, I needed it myself. So, okay. So this information came to us uh, in the season two in the episodes uh, "Even Cowgirls Get the Black and Blues" and "Love and Basketball." Um, this is around the time when uh, uh, that whole Gabriel incident happens. So Blaine and uh, I think Donnie are talking, and they talk about how Mister Boss. It's, they said that Mr. Boss imported the Utopium from Hong Kong and it was hidden in scrap metal shipments. And the assumption being that the Blue Cobras, the guy, the, the gang that AJ is involved with. Yeah. Uh, that was the gang that uh, was helping bring the, the Utopium into Seattle uh, because the father had the scrapyard and uh, or the scrap was in charge of the big company or something and they were smuggling the Utopium through that. Um, and that's also the gang that Clive went undercover, you know, with his mustache to infiltrate when he was working in Vice. Uh huh. So that's where we originally heard that Utopium came from. We didn't hear that it was created here in Seattle. 
Um, mm-hmm. It was it was imported from Hong Kong. Now this is information that Blaine and Donnie received, and maybe they were just given the wrong information. Like Mr. Boss is there uh, in the flashback we see where Mr. Boss is um, t- getting Martin to create this utopium. So maybe Mr. Boss, in order to cover up Martin's identity, said that he was importing it from Hong Kong. Uh, so that's the best way I can kind of cover up that plot hole <laughs> in my own mind. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so Blaine and uh, Donnie and Chief uh, visit Gabriel, the, the preacher, and they said that he cut the utopium the night of the boat party. That when he cut that utopium, he tainted it. Um, and so they kind of get him. He They turn him into a zombie. They they say, we're not going to give you anything until you make up a new batch of tainted utopium. What happens is he does make a new batch. Donnie then brings the sample of it to Ravi, who's trying to make a cure. But unfortunately, Ravi makes a zombie killer instead. Gabriel drinks it and dies. And, um, and then Ravi says, that's... Supposedly tainted boat party utopium wasn't even close to what the original boat party mm. utopium was, and uh, and we, you know of course we find the original uh, a sampling of the original tainted uh, utopium in like a fake leg buried in in a field. Yeah, <laughs> a few a few episodes later. So, I guess we find out like we're we're finding out here that Martin is actually the one that created the utopium. We heard before that Mr. Boss was important, pointing it from Hong Kong, but Mr. Boss was also in charge of Martin, so maybe that was a cover story, I'm assuming. And Gabriel, I, I think this person hunched over a table that Martin walks by is supposed to be Gabriel. So I think they're sort of covering up all the, the potholes involved here. I don't, you, I don't know if you buy it or you don't buy it. I, I don't know. I guess I'll leave it up to, leave it up to you. <laughs> um, okay, so, so back in this flashback, you know, in this present episode here, um, it's now, you know, so Martin has gone out, he's taken that tainted utopium and he has drank Max Rager with it and become the first zombie. And, uh, but meanwhile, uh, Scotty goes to Martin's lab. He sees nobody's there. And this is the same night that Martin turns into a zombie. Um, so Donnie, so, so Scotty brings out the tainted utopium in a bag and loads it into the trunk of a car uh, for um, Blaine. And we see Donnie kind of chuckling at Blaine's joke and Scotty tells him to calm down. Mm-hmm. Like, Scotty is not mu- not as much of a fan of Blaine as Donnie is at this point. And uh, so what do you think of Blaine's look here? <laughs> oh, he was so dorky. <laughs> he, was season- he was such a loser. He was season He's one so- Blaine, like before yeah. before he was turned. Um, I mean, that, not that we really saw much of it, but we saw that outfit in the vision that Liv has, the, the mm-hmm. yellow jacket, the hugs, not drugs. Like, that's at the end of the very first episode that Liv has that vision. So lame. He's so lame. He's such a poser. <laughs> He's such a wannabe. And even more, like, shout-outs to early iZombie. Like, Scotty asks Blaine, like, okay, you're going to bring this over and sell it at the Nine Trolls Skate Park? And Blaine's like, no, Julian's got that. So again, mm, I know Skater I Kids, Julian. yeah, mm-hmm. Julian, the Candyman, you know. And uh, and then he says, Max Rager is throwing a little soiree. Blaine loves soirees <laughs> on the company yacht. And Blaine then inhales the utopium, uh, the tainted utopium, 
And uh, Scotty is like, why are you calling it a, why not say boat party like a regular human? <laughs> and like, because it's a soiree. So, remember, Blaine inhales Utopium. He has it in his system, and he's on his way to the boat party. Uh-huh. And so, it's not until Liv throws Max Rager into Blaine's face that he then rages out and turns into a zombie. Therefore, I'm correct. Liv turned Blaine into a zombie before he scratched her and turned her into a zombie moments later. Uh, My theory checks out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so proud of you. Pat on the virtual pat on the back. But, that, but that's also like good information. Like we're like, how long has Blaine been a zombie? Is like Blaine turning people into zombies and also being a drug dealer at the same time? Or was mm-hmm. that the first time he had a full on uh, zombie attack? You know? That uh, apparently it was. I mean, unless we get another scene, but it seems like he's headed off to that boat party where he's going to have that interaction with Liv. So I just loved this eye zombie history lesson so much. Yeah, because, well, it was just that Martin was like the only zombie mm-hmm. for a while. Well, for, then... no, just for like a like a, a couple hours, really. I mean, he okay. was the first one that was, because was, that was the same night that he attacked Hal in the van that he wasn't, that's why he wasn't at the lab when Scotty okay. picked up the Tate Utopian. And then they had the boat party. Yeah, because later on, at the when they're getting the hot dog, Liv tells uh, her dad, Martin, that she's an OG. Yeah. OZ. OZ. She's an original <laughs> zombie. Yeah. From, you know, she's original. And he, he lies and says it was because of the uh, flu, the uh, vaccination. Yeah. The Lucian flu, yeah. Yeah. But he's a liar. All right, mm-hmm. so, so let's go on to the next chapter uh, I wrote down. It's called Father's Day Continues. Um, and we're just talking about Martin and Liv here. Um, so, yeah, Liv is at Martin's door, and Martin looks very surprised. And, uh, yeah, it's I'm really confused because, like, does Martin know who Liv is? Well, shouldn't he? Like, isn't she, like, one of the most famous people in Seattle at this point? Like, she's been on the cover of a paper. She's got this Paul Rudd video out about her. Yeah, and he's, like, Renegade. and he's like, Liv, like, yeah, not Olivia. Uh, Olivia. It's, it's like he knows her, like, Liv. Yeah. Like, he sounded very, pers- you know. Yeah. I, it's, it's weird. I, I couldn't make up my mind whether he yeah. knows is he legitimately is. is he legitimately surprised and glad to see her? Right. And uh, is he really um, emotionally took back by all this? Because if you're thinking to yourself that, that, you know, Martin is such a master planner, he somehow got Liv to come to his door at that moment. It's not true because... Eva tells, He was shocked. Yeah. She yeah. was shocked. Eva told Liv without like how would he even set that up? So so he's definitely surprised that she shows up. Mm-hmm. And, but but I'm, what I'm wondering about is like does he know like she yeah. he knows who Eva Moore is. He knows that he had a daughter and I'm sure Eva must have told her what her name is. Uh yeah. Anyway, um so uh Martin says he's sober now, Liv says she's gotta go, she has this she calls in a case, but Martin says He's glad she found him. Um, so we go on to the next part, which again confused me. Um, Liv goes into the morgue with Clive and is telling him about Martin. And she could tell Martin is her dad because he's got Evan's eyes. He looks, his eyes are just like Evan's. Mm-hmm. And which I had to go then go back to the previous episode or the episode with uh, Eva in it. Mm-hmm. I think it was a scratch maker. Um, 
And it was like, yeah, because I wasn't, I wasn't clear on did does Liv and uh, Evan have the same father? I assume not because okay, yeah. I looked. Eva went back into the scripts. Eva says that Martin was out of their lives before Liv was born. Yeah, which means that he. So I assumed Evan is not was 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 the son of Eva and somebody else. Maybe that other doctor who they thought was his father, right? <laughs> Uh, and he's clearly like younger than her by a, uh, a few years. Mm-hmm. So because he was still like in high school, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So here's the line that she says. I wrote it down. He was out of the picture by the time you were born. I heard he went into rehab, joined Doctors Without Borders, traveled the world. When he was sober, he was a lovely, lovely man, brilliant. Then he showed up back in Seattle, came to see me and you, but I wouldn't let him see you until I was sure. I thought he had changed. He had it. So. Evan is Evan is only um, Martin is only Evan's dad if when he came back Evan and Eva and uh, uh, Martin got it on. <laughs> yeah, they had a brief affair. She got pregnant again. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, the second time. Like Eva, you, you, you well, maybe she wanted. You... Maybe she wanted to. Maybe she wanted a second. Maybe child. she's a, yeah. Maybe she's a strong, independent woman who knows exactly what she wants. So she wanted another baby. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, so I guess Martin is the father of uh, of Liv and Evan, which was I, I didn't think so when we yeah I didn't first heard that yeah. All right, so yeah, Martin and Liv you get get hot dogs together. Um, Martin says it really felt good helping Doctors Without Borders, but you know it took a it took a it took a toll. He saw a lot of death and suffering, and he starts kind of sniffing and claiming it's allergies, but mm-hmm. it's not. Um, Likely story. That's what they all say. And then they order uh, hot dogs, and she notices he's got like he gets like hots on on his hot dogs, and uh, he's like she realizes oh he's a zombie too, and yeah like he said a Lucian flu shot Lucian flu shot. She says she's an OZ scratched the Max Rager boat party, and I was looking at her his face when she said that, and it seems like he's like oh like I caused that you know, <laughs> um and. Uh, then Lib notices his hands are shaking and can tell he's still using. So Lib and Martin immediately waste their hot dogs, which really... I know. Me. I was like, dang. They didn't even I take don't, a bite. I don't even eat pig. And I was like, that's so wasteful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Liv says she's sure that Eva, you know, her mom would love to see this happening right now. The, you know, his her disappointment. Um but Martin then swears he's like, no, no, you're. This is it. This is you're the. You came back in my life. You're the reason I need to kick. And, mm. and Liv like throws it back in his face. Like, why now? Why not thirty years ago? Yeah, when I was born. How yeah. was that not good enough? Yeah. So I mean, that just putting so much on. Oh, it's just so manipulative. You know, putting so much pressure on her. I, you, you're going to be my reason. Right. Yeah. Oh, so selfish. Yeah, I know exactly. Uh, and, and I was going to ask you, like, does do you, do you believe Martin? Do you think Martin is telling the truth here? He wants to kick uh, the habit, even if he's involved in all these other shenanigans. Uh, does you know live coming back in his life? Maybe yeah. Does that make him want to be a better person? Yeah. Really? Or does he have ulterior motives? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Especially at the end. Yeah. I was very confused. I mean, when we first meet him, he's a chrome dome psychopath in the back of a van mm-hmm. <laughs> who just completely murders somebody in front of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see him talk about 
uh, what's her name? Dolly? Yeah, Dolly. That she would Dolly. be a zombie, yeah. Yeah, he was like, yeah, you know, we're on the same, we're all on the same page. She just, she's just on the other side. And so that kind of uh, helps you understand where he's coming from. Right. Also, is the drugs causing these, this, um, this mental (laughs) behavior or is it, or is this really him, you know? Right. Is it because he saw so much um, death and suffering and as doctors without borders, he's just like, why even bother? You know, we we need to, we need to stop, um, associating with humans um, and becoming our own species. I don't know. So yeah, towards the end of the episode, Liv gives Martin packets and his garbage can is full of dozens of vials of utopium, which can easily just be picked out of there. And yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> they're just in a different place. I'd be more convinced if he was like flushing them all down the toilet or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he says, you know, you came back, you're going to help me. You just can't, it, Good people can't help it. They just they just have to help. Like he he's got a good sense of her mm-hmm. motivations now, and which makes it easy for him, you know, to use her. That's exactly. what that's gave what me the creeps. Yeah, me too. Uh, you're, you're a good person, Liv. Good people can't help themselves. So that implies that you know, no matter what he does, she's always going to be tied to him now. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, uh, uh, I don't trust him. <laughs> I, I know. I, I I can't tell if I don't like this because I don't like the uh, melodramatics of it, yeah. or if it's the same old, you know, daddy's going to rehab. Yeah, if he just like reforms himself and be, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like. or is it just like it just gives me dread because I'm like. Liv's going to be hurt by this. This is going to yeah. turn out badly. All right. Well, so my next, my, my final chapter I have here in my notes is Martin's master plan. And so we go out to, uh, outside the border. We, we meet Dr. Bishop who is examining Corporal Jones, who we know as a uh, boss or tater or spud or whatever you want to call him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is an army base outside of New Seattle. And, um, yeah. So Bishop is, how did he get out? Well, he got smuggled out by Riley, who was helping with the, I guess, the ulterior motive for Riley in order to help um, Stan with um, uh, Lila was to be able to get access to going through the border. And she somehow got lost through the border. I don't know. we, We don't really see how. But it's almost like that actress wasn't available. <laughs> I I mean, you know, Enzo says at the end, the plan was a success. Riley got got him out of the city, you know, and to infect people. So that's all that's really said. Um, so we, we were dreading that perhaps Lila Collier was in some trouble. She was going to get infected and go to the CDC and cause infection there, which still could happen, but it seems like the plan was just to get Voss across the border to cause some trouble here. Um, so yeah, he scratches the doctor, turns him into zombie. If you want to survive, you'll do exactly what I say. Um, then we go back to New Seattle. We have Robbie giving Peyton a pep talk, which leads to him trying to sell her tickets. And she's like, I already bought some from Liv. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just kind of included these parts because Major is a part of this all as well. Um, Major tells Liv about the the Sloan Mills situation, how she's missing, 
And they all sit down in front of their TV, which is I, I'm, I'm assuming is is like their version of Amazon Prime or a Roku mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, so of course I had to read the screen. The top movies on the service are Cold Steel, Hot Nights, Weekend Samurai, The Pickling of Alistair De Groot, Tiny Bubbles, Tiny yeah, Tiny Bubbles, The Trouble with Bruce, which actually I believe is a real movie, and of course my favorite um, movie is called Podcastic. <laughs> Which I'm just going to assume is a shout out to us. It's got to be a shout out to us, right? Podcast, podcastic. Uh, so uh, they go, they have to go to the web series though. So they go over to that screen, and the web series are that chick is sketchy, <laughs> so many species, hipsterific. Here's the deal, ladies, and we're doing it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know about the quality of those series, but High Zombie is one of them. And so they watch High Zombie, and yeah, it's very much like a like a Chuck Lorre show. <laughs> you know, big laugh tracks, uh, jokes that are not exactly as funny, but uh, Jimmy making these uh, jokes about like people constantly say "Hi Zombie" to him, and like I don't go around and say "Hi Italian" or "You got it, black guy" or anything like that. And uh, but you know, though it. It makes uh, it makes our you know major uh, live Ravi and Peyton laugh. Uh, it, you know we're to assume that you know Jimmy and Yasmin got it right. High zombie yeah. is 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 funnier than it was. I mean, as any show within a show, it's not as funny to us. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you just have to be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we go to General Mills and his entourage show up. Um, they go through the check, huge checkpoint in the wall. They get to Fillmore Graves, and Major explains um, a plan that Vivian set in, set in motion in season three, uh, Zombie Island. And at first, they were going to be uh, lo- relocating 300 zombies to this place to work and build their own community. But now it's 10,000 zombies that have to move to this island. And um, Senator Hoover is uh, somebody we, we kind of learn his name later, but he's not a fan at all. He's like, Zombie Island? You know, like, that's ridiculous, you know? You expect taxpayers to pay to, tra- to pick up and put you people on an island? Yeah. Dead people? And, uh, you know, they say it's going to save the planet. But I don't know. I I mean, it sounds great, but that's only assuming that the zombies are going to stay there, which I just don't think that's... That's something that Major can promise. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. people are going to feel trapped. They're going to want to leave. They're going to want to. They're going to want to go to like New York City and watch a Broadway show, or <laughs> go to London and uh, you know stare at Big Ben or something. I don't know. Um, apologies to Londoners that are listening. Uh, um, see a show on the West End. There you go. Go on Jack the Ripper tours. Yes. Ride the London Eye. Definitely not see the sun. Um, yeah, eat fish and chips. Fish and chips with hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if it rains, you put put on your windscreen wipers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after the whole presentation, Major talks one on one to General Mills, who is really mad. His daughter's missing. He calls them terrorists, and he calls them kidnappers, and he threatens them. He's he's like, I'm going to walk through the rubble of Seattle. So he's made up mm. his mind. He's He's going to recommend they they bomb New Seattle. So wow. Um, I mean, even if there's just like hope that Sloan is there, you know, why would you do that? But I don't know. Uh, something tells me he's not going to be able to make that decision. <laughs> uh, so we go back to that checkpoint. Doctor Bishop scratches Senator Hoover, which is funny. General Mills leaves the office. 
Yeah, we and were then, expecting it to be yeah. uh, General Meals. Yeah, or Captain Crunch or one of them. Um, <laughs> just thinking of other uh, names that are brands. <laughs> Uh, Lieutenant Brawny Man. Um, all right, so Doctor Doctor Bishop scratches Senator Hoover and says, "If you want to survive and keep the secret, follow instructions. You work for us now." And uh, we go back out to Martin's house. He is watching the Renegade video. He's looking very emotional. And this is the part where Enzo says, "The plan is success." Success. He says, "Selected delegates uh, have been scratched." So it's not just uh, Hoover. There are other people that got scratched by Dr. Bishop. And Enzo warns Martin of Liv, says um, she sticks her nose where it doesn't belong. And what about a conflict of interest here? And Martin says, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So is he going to use Liv in his plan? Like what? This is going to be sad. Mm. This is going to be really sad. Yeah, it's funny. He's like, watching a video is very emotional. We hear Paul Rudd. You know, everybody gets emotional when you hear Paul Rudd. Um, but um, but he's also like, looks like he's conniving. He's lives going to be a part of this somehow. Um, there's a reason why he's going to still associate with her. Or he's just saying, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to fulfill this plan, but I also have a need in me to uh, connect with my daughter. And... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Again, he had 30 years to connect with her. Instead, he's been, you know, homeless. He's been a junkie. He's been, and then, you know, he's been conniving for the past few years. This plan. I don't, I don't know. What, what is, what has he been doing since, <laughs> since he became a zombie? I'd love to know that too. Oh, don't think too hard about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've been yammering on long enough. I, I did not imagine us talking this long about this episode, but gosh, the mythology involved in it um, makes me want to go back and rewatch certain episodes. And yeah, um, so we should get some feedback. Um, here's some thoughts from the users of TV Time, where you can find our podcast streaming under the Eyes Zombie section. I only had a couple this week because uh, I picked them up pretty early. Uh, Juliana says, "So weird seeing Blaine without the white hair." And <laughs> Liam says, has anyone ever noticed that almost all of iZombie cases deal with someone having an affair or a duplicitous relationship? But yeah. Well, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty typical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty real life, I guess. I mean, go back. Do go you b- not watch those true crime shows? <laughs> go back to it an hour ago where I started making a case for killing spouses. <laughs> <laughs> And please don't send it to the FBI. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think basically what I was trying to say is it's just more likely. It's just more likely. There's yes. going to be more. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also just saying Clive is right. Always look, always look at the spouse. All right. Uh, do you have any emails you want to read? I, I, know there's a, I know there's a voicemail from Jeff. And it came over mm-hmm. like – he sends it Immediately. Right yeah. He's like, watched it and done. But while I'm loading that up, uh, do you want to read another one? I will read Efrex. Hey, Efrex. Hey, guys. This episode was really interesting. I'm not sure that any particular element stands out for me, but a lot of chess pieces got moved around as we head for the end game. 
which looks like it's going to be pretty freaking epic. Yes. I wish I wish we had more time to develop Liv's relationship and conflict with her father, but the writers know how to pack a lot of emotion into short scenes, and I'm really enjoying Bill Wise's performance as Martin Roberts. Mm. Me too. I like him a lot better than, you know, uh, Crazy Chrome Dome, which we got at the beginning. I'm not sure if they weren't sure what they were doing with the character at first, but, well, we'll see. Mm. Yeah. Fun to see Liv and Ravi on the same brain and the Glengarry, Glen Ross type atmosphere was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Love the flashbacks. Any excuse to give us more Bryce Hodgson is welcomed by me. And I always thought Scott E was the better looking brother. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were able to better maintain continuity. As I recall, the boat party utopia was cut, tainted, cut and tainted by another drug dealer, Gabriel. Not just a different batch. I wonder if we'll get some more of Martin Roberts' backstory. How did he keep himself fed and undercover all this time, let alone manage to gather a following? These are all questions that we've we've mm-hmm. been discussing. That's for see, sure. uh, uh, just the tedi- tediousness. Just I can't deal with. Um, right. Having Donnie fall in love with a rebellious dying girl is something only these writers could come up with. I'm counting. On a whole lot of laughter and tears coming out of this relationship. That's all for now. Take care, Efrix. Yes, I agree. It's going to be so sad. Um, yeah, I'm having a problem bringing up Jeff's voicemail because my Gmail app is uh, just ignoring the fact that his voicemail is in there. <laughs> here is Dave's here? email. Hey, folks. So let's start this off with the big revelation that this has been the theory since last week. Martin Liv's dad is being Poe Bob. And been in the background of our story all the time and was working with Mr. Boss's organization. I appreciate that Liv is cautious of her father. She wants to help him, but also is keeping a smart distance. Run away, Liv. This guy's bad news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as to this episode as a whole, it seems like an old filler episode and has be a whole uh, has a whole left as a whole left me wanting <laughs> and as a whole left me wanting <laughs> so here it goes number one Liv and Robbie playing off each other on salesperson brain was a lot of fun as a former salesperson I know these personalities well <laughs> <laughs> yep number two it was great to see Peyton again oh so it's pretty. nice to see her yes. so pretty number three hi zombie no no interest in this side plot I still don't see how this is going to be convincing anyone the few moments of live as renegade on the documentary is so much more compelling <laughs> yeah it's yes. not cartoony that's true it's very real that's so true uh number four it was great seeing pre-zombie blaine and donnie and scott e after a couple of episodes of downbeaten blaine we see you can keep can't keep okay Okay. And after a couple of episodes of downbeaten Blaine, we see you can't keep a bad Blaine down, scheming until the end. (laughs) Number six, finally, the biggest plot point for this episode was the military and politicians visiting Seattle. So much tension. I love Major's deflection of uh, General Mills' vent. Mm. Yeah, when General Mills is like, I'm going to walk through the rubble and... And Major's like, uh, lunch is being served. (laughs) (laughs) Sandwiches or commissary, yeah. Uh, And the scratching of the folks leaving Seattle, pretty smart. I had major flashbacks of the 2000 X-Men movie and the plot idea of turning leaders into the very thing they were afraid of. Yeah, I knew it seemed very familiar. See you next week, Dave. 
All right. Thanks, Dave. No matter what the Gmail app says, I opened our mail up in just a uh, browser on my phone, and there was Jeff's voicemail. Let me play it now. Okay. Oh, wait. It's got to do this thing where it loads first. Hello, Robin and Steph and I, zombie fans. I thought this was an okay episode. I didn't particularly care for Ravi and Liv on the salespeople brains. I thought it was a little distracting, but, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of car salesmen to begin with, so Mm -hmm. I can see where it's going. I thought the flashbacks to give us more background on Liv's dad and his involvement and connections to others was really insightful. But my question to you all to kind of speculate on is, do you think he's going to try to use Liv for his own agenda? Or is he getting swayed by her some? All right, that's my question. X-Force 11 out. Those are definitely the two biggest possibilities that we've been thinking of. But uh, I'm I'm not sure either way. I, I don't trust him. So I guess I'm leaning more on he's using her. Um, but then again, I don't know. He could also want to have a connection with his daughter and realize that he can't be a bad guy and do the same thing. I, I don't know. And ends up betraying her, maybe. Uh, I, I'm not sure myself. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> I am scared. <laughs> this is an email from Tim. And uh, after some introductory stuff to us, I just want to, I'll just read, cut right to his email. So I want to tread lightly. But the Don E. Darcy romance is icky. Bryce is 30, and I assume Donnie is around the same age. Darcy is a college student. We know that Freylet kids don't live past 18 usually. Candy even referred to her as a kid, asked to see her ID. Even if she's 18, 19, and a legal adult age past the age of consent, the age difference is kind of skeevy. Yes, Donnie himself can be skeevy. He's a drug dealer who owns a brothel, but it's still cringy to watch, even more so than the, uh, the high zombie bits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, Bryce is 30, um, but we don't we, – we, we shouldn't assume that Donnie is 30. You know, he could be playing younger. Yeah. He's very boyish. You know, he's very immature, young, <laughs> especially when you see him uh, compared to Scott E. Yeah, yeah. Scott E is obviously, obviously much older than uh, Donnie. <laughs> no, no, just <laughs> yeah. a, just a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do like the I, – I loved uh, uh, Scotty as this version of the Bryce Hodgson character uh, who doesn't trust Blaine. It's almost like I see Scotty as like what Donnie is going to turn into by the end of this series mm. when um, Blaine kills Darcy, obviously, which is going to happen. Uh, Tim says about the high zombie bits, the characters actually find this funny? Am I supposed to – am I supposed to find it funny? <laughs> Uh, okay, Rick Connor, Rick Connor, in two uh, season two, episode one, Donnie told Blaine he knew who made the Burt Party Utopium. This was Gabriel, who we met in episode uh, season two, episode four, who died in the, the episode after, uh, right before R- Ravi and Blaine's Friday I'm in Love morgue fight. Yet in this episode, we're led to believe that Martin not only created Utopium itself, but was the one who made the tainted version as well. We see Ad Labs assistants. He patted one on the back, so we're to assume Gabriel was one of them. The Jesse Pinkman, who is Walter White. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I think I uh, unconsciously grifted from this email. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, He's he goes through pretty much all the stuff that I kind of brought up. Um, also, did Martin have anything to do with the Lucky You version of Utopian? Whoever cooked it must have had access to the original recipe, you would think. Did Blaine have someone in a lab cooking it up, or was he just a dealer and distributor? Did the late Speedy Pete refine Martin's recipe? Oh, man, I'm going to have to go back and see who that Speedy Pete is, because I don't even remember that at all. So, apologies. <laughs> uh, let's cut past that, because we kind of already discussed it. Um, he also says, thanks to TV Tropes, I found the perfect term and explanation for my conflicting Blaine feelings. Uh, villain Decay. It, it It's not a redemption or a reformation. The character themselves doesn't necessarily change morally or behaviorally, but as the stakes become higher and more serious antagonists are introduced, the original villain seems harmless and friendly in comparison. In season one, Blaine was undoubtedly the cold-blooded big bad. In seasons two and three, before, even before the amnesia stint, he was more of an uneasy ally. The stakes kept getting higher. And due to the charming charisma of David Anders, Blaine became endearing and at times sympathetic. I won't say harmless and friendly, save for the genuinely amnesiac Blaine. Even after that, though, he teamed up with Liv to take down Harley Johns. She and Clive even called them in to help with an investigation. In season four, Blaine started killing people in cold blood again. He had no kills at all in season two except for his grandfather, still murder, arguably, euthanasia. And in season three, it was only Angus's henchmen. In season four, though, when he killed Baracus, though it would certainly be in character for season one, Blaine, it was almost jarring considering the layers and depth they had given him since then. They had taken steps to make him more the one-dimensional baddie he was in season one, and it irked me. At the time, I felt it was felt like it was regression backbattling when they realized the majority of fandom liked Blaine better as a baddie. It was easier to write that than try to redeem him given his irredeemable crimes. Now with some perspective, I won't say it's regression per se, but even it's a writing choice that disappoints me on the fact as a fan of the sick bastard. Nearly every time he is, he has the chance to do the right thing. He has an ulterior motive or agenda for doing so that screws it up for himself. Hell, even Peyton uh, suggested back in season three, that he could stay the new improved Blaine even if his memories came back. He could have been honest and still trying to start fresh. It may have taken a while more good deeds like giving Major the address of Natalie's captor and alerting him when they were back in town. Maybe the gang could have given him a chance to prove he was a new man with essentially the memories of a past life. They could have gotten into deep questions like, is it our memories of our experiences that make me make us who we are? And what would happen if you suddenly got hit with a lifetime of memories and were aghast at who you were and lied to avoid the truth due to your own horror, fear of rejection? Alas, it's a CW show at the end of the day, and what it's become is something of an ensemble. Liv is still the lead among them. The focus needs to be on her, and such philosophical and moral questions would have detracted from that focus. It's not it's not just the Blaine show. There you have me saying that in writing. He's just one cog in the larger iZombie machine. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, Tim. It seems like you're disappointed in the writers, but you know maybe you're just disappointed in Blaine. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, we're examining this as a as a story, and in, in, you know, in, in universe, uh, Blaine made these decisions, and uh, you know, rather than just saying it was kind of like a a thing that writers did to make Blaine into a character that the fans wanted, uh, maybe Blaine wanted to be that person, and he felt more comfortable um, instead of being this. Uh, a uh, boozy lounge singer <laughs> who is trying to do the good thing, and maybe he was just in his uh, uh, nature, and it's easier for him to uh, um, be a bad guy, kill people, uh, cut throats to get ahead. 
That's just what I think. Um, anyway, Blaine's going to die. And uh, Tim, I, I, hopefully he'll be still watching the, to see it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Oh, we have Facebook feedback, right? Okay. All right. This is the part where you, where you have Facebook about I don't. Uh, I had the I had the email. No, oh, darn it! I, I should have been on this. I'm sorry. No problem. Here Did we are. You, oh, good. Uh, Kathy says, "Wow, her dad is Beepo Bob." <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, James says, "It finally struck me last week that lives mom's that live mom scene last week's live mom scene had less to do with exploring that dynamic and more to do with introing bad dad." Before that scene was shown, I assumed that almost letting her brother die was the issue, but nothing in that scene spoke to that. Yeah, it didn't matter. It it wasn't about what Liv did in season one. Yeah, the end of season one. It was all about <laughs> Eva is only there to introduce dad. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yes, obviously, yeah, she points him her in the direction of dad. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, she still has that hurt. From what happened with Evan, I mean, she's still holding on to it. It's surprising how how raw it seems, but maybe it's just because mm-hmm. she hasn't seen Liv in a long time. It's just good just good actors. Yeah. Okay, sorry, James. We're back to what you were saying. Yeah. Uh, I, before that scene was shown, I assumed that almost letting her brother die was the issue, but nothing in that scene spoke to that. I'm bumfuzzled and focus fun, focusing focused and focused as to is focused a word. As to what is maybe it's a word, I don't word? <laughs> as to what mom's problem is, the issue, whatever it is, is something that came to a head after the season two episode one, in my opinion. I don't I'll, know. I, I think I think after season two episode one, it was dropped, and uh, they were going to bring it back for you know in mid season in the episode the Whopper. We read the, I read the deleted scene stuff uh, last week, but um, it, it never happened. So yeah. Okay. James says, all in all, this was a, a pretty good episode. Lots of stuff going on, and the brain was really excellent. Ravi versus Liv was a flat was flat out fun to watch. Yes. It does feel odd that this season, the moment when the killer is revealed, is less of a highlight. I don't, I don't uh, get the feeling of building up to a climax that we got in early early seasons. Mm. Finally, I have to say that the writing for the conflict part of this season arc feels more like one of the better sci-fi shows than a zomcom rom drum. It feels very different from where we started. I think all, all final seasons do, you know. Um, again, the, 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 the normal structure, we can't just kind of rely on that all the way to the end. This, in the end, isn't a procedural show where, you know, the, it doesn't matter if it's the season finale or, or mid-season. It's just going to be this, it's just going to be a case and we solve the case and other things happen. I think right now we're we're hurtling towards we have a big plan, we have a big bad, and we're hurtling towards the end and everything's gotta get wrapped up. So unfortunately the cases seem less of a focused and quite honestly, I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanna still see them solve cases. I wish they were a little bit more fun, but besides that, I, I'm more interested in uh, uh what what else is going on. <clears throat> Gosh, I zombie history lessons. I love it. Love answer my questions, all of them. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for feedback. Um, we should uh, carry right on to next time on iZombie. Uh, the episode is called The Fresh Princess. And here's the promo. What's up? 90s teen pageant. Girl brain. Whatever. 
Clive, this case has like totally changed. You said you had a vision, not a vision board. Ironic, right? Define ironic. Well, you know, just ironic. I, Zombie, the final season continues next Thursday, 8, 7 central on The CW. And that was the uh, promo for The Fresh Princess. Uh, Here's our description. Liv eats the brain of a beauty pageant contestant. Liv and Clive investigate the murder of Miss Teen Seattle beauty pageant contestant Lori Beth Spano, who went into anaphylactic shock on stage in 1999 and ended in a coma. At the the time, police arrested rival contender Velma Charlotte for spiking Lori Beth's makeup, and she was given a four-year sentence. In present time, Lori Beth has passed away, and Clive has arrested Velma for her murder. Velma claims to be innocent, and Lori Beth and Liv consumes Lori Beth's brain in order to, in hopes of tracking down the murderer. That was a lot, but uh, <laughs> it was written by John Bellina and directed by Tessa Blake. And uh, yeah, so we're gonna have a, you know, it, it's now it's now fashionable to we're now in kind of getting over the whole 80s craze although the Stranger Things kind of keeps the Amblin-esque uh, version of uh, of the 80s alive but I think today we're being more nostalgic about the 90s it was long that long 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 ago decade um, with all those great fashion all the amazing items. fashions and uh, great music and uh, yeah interesting hair <laughs> It was not. It was so boring. It was just so blah. <laughs> anyway, we lived through it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I got to say, in the promos, uh, Liv looks again. It's going to be another week of me just cooing about how cute Liv looks. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I th- when I think about you know the nineties and think about what I wore, how I fixed my hair, whatever. Yeah. I can't think of anything. Like it's just so nothing. <laughs> but I wore a lot I of see- t-shirts and flannels. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when I see her I, and I see all of those little items in that promo, I think, oh, yeah, that's the 90s. But, like, uh-huh. I don't think I had – maybe I was just too old. Did you ever do a vision board? I never no. did anything like that. But I love the idea of it's a vision board, but, you know, she's having visions, and so she's making a board out of the visions. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also have looked at uh, promo pictures for the episode, and a uh, friend of the show, Molly Hagen, is uh, returning for another guest appearance, and uh, hopefully it's going to be, a, you know, a kind of a better situation than what happened in the when we see her, saw her return. A lot of people really didn't like it. It was a very kind of a negative return, and uh, it kind of left a bad taste in your mouth, so hopefully... Hopefully we get to see Eva more as more um, sympathetic or just acts more empathetic towards Liv. And or more situation. of a character yeah. instead of just a... Setup machine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I look forward to that. Also, um, expect the next promo you see uh, at the end of The Fresh Princess to say, in two weeks. Because uh, the following week is July 4th. Thursday is July 4th, so they're, I, I'm almost certain that they're going to take the week off. Mm-hmm. So, uh, cool. Looking forward to the Fresh Princess. Well, I think we wrapped that one up pretty good, all because I take some amazing notes. Uh, well, honestly, the podcast would just be you reading your dumb notes to yourself if it wasn't for me. I bet the listeners prefer my smooth, dulcet tones over yours. I have a voice like silk. Are you kidding me? 
most of these folks are here for my southern draw. Yeah, but my name comes first in the podcast title, so... Maybe we should rename it with my name first so we climb up the Apple podcast charts. It's too late to rename the podcast. It's it's Robin and Steph, and it's staying in that order. Well, I'm logging in to change it. Uh, I'll log in to change it back. Well, I changed the password, so suck it, loser. Well, if I study coding for one year, I'll hack in and I'll change it back. In your face! Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Obligatory contact info in three, two, one, go. Send in your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com. You can follow Steph on Twitter, at Steph Smith. You can follow Robin at L. Robin Yarrow. Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash D. Sheehan. Check out our other podcasts. You can listen to us binge watch through great shows like Dawson's Creek, Smallville, Veronica Mars, and When I Zombie Ends, Gilmore Girls. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to check out TV Time. If you want to join a global community of TV watchers where our podcast, among others, is currently streaming, download the TV Time app today. Go to tvtime.com for more details. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We do this in our spare time, so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated. And the only payment we ask are your kind words. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. And we're done. You think anyone's still listening? Oh, they totally are. Bye, zombie. Live forever! Live forever!